This is Tim Staten with Tim Stating the Obvious. What is this podcast about? It's simple. You are entitled to great leadership everywhere you go, whether it's to church, whether it's to work, whether it's at your house, you are entitled to great leadership. And so in this podcast, we take leadership principles and theories and turn them into everyday, relatable, and usable advice. And a quick disclaimer, this show, process, or service by trademark, trademark manufacturer, otherwise does not necessarily constitute an implied endorsement of anyone that I employed by or favors them in representation. The views are expressed here in my show are my own expressed and do not necessarily state or reflect those of any employer. Hey, and welcome back to another episode of Tim Stating the Obvious. In the last episode, we talked about conflict management in the work environment. In this episode, we're going to be talking about my perspective on the Global Workplace 2023 report uh, that the Gallup had published. I want to focus on the North American region mainly because that is where, where most of my listeners are. So the United States of America and Canada specifically. Although everybody else who does tune in globally around the world, one, I really appreciate all of you from tuning in. Uh, everyone from Europe, at South Asia, and uh, parts of Africa as well, and especially the uh, South American brothers and sisters down there. Really appreciate all of you uh, listening in. But for this episode, we're going to specifically focus on uh, the North America trend, specifically the United States and Canada. So let's take a look at the area of employee engagement. So 31% of uh, people uh, are actively engaged at work, which is a 2% less average than last year. Now, we'll say that this is still roughly higher, about 10% higher than the global average. So that's a significant sign of success uh, to a point. However, 52% are in the quiet quitting stage. These are your folks who are just at work and collecting a paycheck and not really producing high quality work, but not producing fireable quality of work either. This is roughly 7% less than the global average. But let's put it this way, 6 in 10 people are not engaged at all at work, uh, to the point where they're not disruptive, uh, but they're not really high performing either. They're just kind of there looking for the next best thing. Now, this number took me by surprise, and that is that 17 folks are, 17% of folks are allowed quitting and not actively engaged at all. These people who are completely checked out and are just verbally saying, yeah, you don't pay me enough to do that. I'm not going to do it. So that that really took me by surprise on that one. And there's only 1% difference than the global average for uh, the the loud quitters out there. So that's that's telling in itself. So here's my take on this, right? So 71% of the people surveyed believe that the job market is currently favorable, while 47% are actively seeking employment somewhere else. So it's safe to say that you can look at your you know, employee workforce and look at your population and expect half of those faces to be replaced or gone by next year. Uh, because they're looking for the next best thing in employment. They're not really there for your organization or your business. They're there uh, because they're collecting a paycheck and you pay them to be. And they're there just to punch the clock to do the bare minimum and get on to the next highest paying job. So is there employee loyalty there? I would say that there never was. And here's why. Our grandparents worked for survival. They grew up coming out of World War II and worked to establish themselves. And this can be applied to almost any generation you can think of right now. And that is uh, two generations ahead of yours. So if you wanted to learn a trade, you had to do internships or apprenticeships to learn those trades. 
If you wanted to be a doctor or an office professional, you had to go to colleges, which were more selective and fewer than we actually have today. So options were not as readily available as they are today. They worked hard when they found a great paying job because that's what was available to them. And it was a high paying job and it was good. It fit their needs. So they stuck with it. They really didn't have options that we currently have today. Then there's your parents and my parents workforce. And they worked for a standard of living. They weren't really working for survival, but working for a better way of life, a better standard of living than which they grew up. They worked hard to make sure that their kids had better than they had and better opportunities than they had. So when they landed a great paying job, they stayed because again, the information revolution and the digital revolutions were just barely starting. They were loyal to companies based on how they provided benefits and a better standard of living or, and took better jobs as more education benefits and information became available. They also knew that businesses were not loyal to them as employees would be replaced just as easily as they got hired because businesses during this time were merging to get CEOs and C-suite workers more benefits and bonuses. During recessions, higher paying wage earners were let go to hire younger people to do the same amount of work that one person was doing, uh, but paying them less. So in essence, they were taking uh, one person who was a high performer and wage earner. They fired that person, hired two or three people to do uh, less work and less jobs and divided it up, right? So that the business can make more of a, a profit, right? So saving the organization money, increasing profit margins at the cost of the employees and their families. Skill and work ethic mattered, but not as much as in increasing the profit margin. People were expendable at almost all costs. So if you take a look at the late 90s, early 2000s, there's tons of businesses that were merging and growing and getting bigger and letting go of a senior workforce. And they were highly skilled and talented in their own right, had lots of experience, uh, but they were just letting them go because it was too costly to keep them. And they could hire two or three other people to do the same job that they were paying one person to do. Uh, at, a, at a lesser rate. And this brings us to our generation. We are working for the quality of life, right? So the, the generation before us had already established the standard of living, the way that we should live, the baseline for what is acceptable for quality, the baseline for having either a nice apartment or a nice house or whatever it is that we say that this is the basic standard. Uh, you know, that generation secured that. And we fell in on that and they gave us a step up from where they were, just like the generation before them gave them a step up. So we're currently stepping up and stepping up. But what we're really working for is quality of life. Our survivability is secured. Our standard of living is established. And now people work for the quality of life. Literally anyone. I mean, anyone, if you graduate from high school, you can go to any higher education learning. It could be a community college, a two-year college, a university, and now a master's degree has been reduced to just being just as common as a bachelor's degree. Doctorate degrees are now almost considered in the same esteem as master's degrees with little to no return of investment in the education. So let's take a look at it real quick. So it costs on average about 104000 to earn a bachelor's degree, and that's a nationwide average for public education. If you go to a private school, you're looking at two hundred to 300000 uh, for a four-year degree. And if you want to earn a master's degree, well, that's going to be about another 44K on average, right? And that's the lesser of the, of the national average uh, for a master's degree. And then, you know, you come out of that with $144,000 worth of debt. 
And the average salary in the United States for most professionals with a master's degree is $81,000 starting out. This means that if you know, you're starting out, you're in a hole and you've got to dig your way out by increasing your quality of life. And now workers have options and they know this. They can go from one job to the next job, searching for higher paying jobs that offer them better quality of life each step of the way. You know, oftentimes you can make money on the side with social media, drop shipping, woodworking, you name it. There are tons of extra ways that people have figured out how to earn extra income and extra money. So people now are looking for what's the best quality of life and jobs that support their quality of life. So people are not working for a living or they're not living to work. They're, they're not working to live. They're living and work supports their life, right? So how is it that we can find the best job that supports our quality of life without impeding upon that? And each person has to decide for themselves what that quality of life is. But getting back to the 52% of workers who are in the quiet quitting stage, and that's six in 10 people in your workplace are full of untapped potential. They know from watching their parents that businesses are loyal to one thing, and that is the bottom line and the profit margin, and that they're expendable. That generation has done is they have turned the tables on business and started treating them like businesses had treated their parents, as a means to an end. They work only to serve their wants and desires to provide for a quality of life, and you know they, they start looking for other things when that business encroaches on their quality of life, then they start quite quitting. And they start looking for other things. And, and the simple question of why, well, it's because they can. You know, these people, they don't go above and beyond. They only do the bare minimum or what is required and rarely, very, very rarely exceed them. So this creates a workplace where you have roughly 30% who love what they do and other people are doing the bare minimum. And you're going to have a a work environment where 30% are going to go above and beyond and excel at everything they do because that's natural to them and that's who they are. The majority of these people are going to do the bare minimum and that adds to the collective stress on the top performers because they often pick up the slack for the betterment of the organization, for the betterment of the team, for the betterment of the business. And we're going to talk about stress in part two of this series. Uh, So I'm not really going to go into it too much uh, right now. So the question is, how do we get after increasing employee engagement in the workplace and turn back the tide on quiet quitting to gain more engaged workers? I caveat this by saying that the U.S. is number two in the world in engaged workers. So we must be doing something right. When 52% of the people who are quiet quitting would ask, they were asked, what would you change about your workplace to make it better? Um, and this is what's their response. 41% said they would change the engagement culture. So in my opinion, what this is really saying is this is re- directly related to the positive engagement and involvement of managers and leaders in the workplace. Those with higher levels of engagement and leadership have more engaged employees and the employees care more. You know, we've talked about this before in a previous episode, so I'm not really going to dig deeper into that uh, for right now, but it's very relational. 28% said they need better pay benefits. This is relational to the quality of life that we talked about. P- 
people want to feel valued and feel like the organization they work for cares about them. And they care about people holistically, not just transactional employees who are mindless drones who show up to work. I mean, honestly, pretty soon we're going to see people being replaced by AI and robotics, and we're starting to see that uh, more and more. So people know that they have intrinsic value and they want to be treated better like they have intrinsic value. Then 16% stated that their well-being was a major reason for not being more engaged. So stress is an enormous factor in countries where they're uh, more engaged employees. So for example, in the World Report, um, Southeast Asia is number one now with the most engaged employees, but they're also number one with the most stress as well based off of work and work performance. So uh, those two places go hand in hand, whereas you have in Europe, uh, they're not as engaged in the workforce. However, their stress level uh, is the lowest in the world as far as uh, employee workforces go. So uh, they they have a, a trade-off there where they said, well, we want to reduce stress and focus more on less stress. And uh, that has a direct uh, payoff to not having as engaged uh, workers. So if you're going to have an engaged uh, work environment, you are also going to have an elevated stress uh, level as well. But I think that can be avoided. And we could talk about that in a different episode. Uh, but at some point, right, these 52% that were quiet quitting were probably in the top thriving category of employees and got burned out with technology and remote working. You know, they expect people at work all the time now. I mean, people can be reached at any time of the day when their bosses reach out, they feel like they need to respond. So I would say that leaders need to do a better job at expectation management when it comes to response times and sending out emails, text messages, or phone calls outside of normal working hours. Because people feel when you send stuff out that they have to respond back. It's just kind of this just natural uh, push and pull within the workplace that, oh, my boss is wanting this from me, so I must do this in response. And I need to do it now because he sent it to me now, so it must be urgent. So as leaders, I think we really, really need to uh, to check when we're sending stuff around work hours uh, and during normal work hours as well. We all know we're going to work, especially if you're a leader outside of normal <laughs> working hours. You got stuff you got to do. Write it down, prepare that email, send it out to be auto sent during normal working hours. Now, again, the number that took me by surprise is that 17% of the folks who are loud quitting uh, are not actively engaged in all. Again, there's only 1% difference in the global average. And unfortunately, but fortunately, the loud quitters are disruptive to the workplace environment and the organization. And this often leads to them actually being fired. However, they most likely qualify for unemployment benefits and severance packages. And in many cases, causes the businesses more money when they get fired. This increases the overall stress on other workers as well. It, de it destabilizes teams and adds to confusion and chaos. Letting this group of people go is probably the best way to move forward. There is very little that you can do once someone reaches this category to bring them back into the fold and get them into the thriving at work category. They have already checked out. They're only there because you haven't fired them yet and you're still paying them and they haven't fired, found anything new yet. So very interesting category, but I would say once you get the folks who are disruptive and in the, the loud quitting phase, you probably just got to let them know, let them go, which is also going to cost the business more money in the long run because you got to replace this person now and everything else. Then you have to kind of do some crisis management, rebuild the team and restabilize the team. So what can we do now that we know all of this? In my opinion, it's really simpler than you think. We need to get to know our people better. We need to understand what they want and quality of life 
and find a healthy balance between the needs of the person and the needs of the organization to thrive. I found in my experience that when you seek to get to know people and find their true motivations and passions, you can align that with how they can thrive at work. You know, we can set realistic boundaries and expectations of work-life balance, so we must live by it and set the example. If we ask people to give us an honest, engaged eight hours of work, then we need to respect the time that they have off during the normal working hours. I mean, obviously, depending on the level of responsibility and authority, that is, uh, there is going to be some exceptions to that. However, we need to honor it as much as possible. Overall, if we do a couple of these items right, then when we then we're going to notice a reduced uh, stress management level and increased engagement at work because they are, they're wanting to come to work. They're not going to be as burnt out because you're respecting that time that they're off. And then while they're there, they're giving you an honest, engaged eight hours worth of work and you're getting the value out of them. And then they see the value that you have in them. So as always, I want to thank you for stopping by and listening to this episode. And I really hope you enjoyed it. Before we go, I would like to ask a favor of you if we could. If you could please share this episode with one or two people who you think might like this topic. If you haven't followed or subscribed or whatever platform you're listening to this on, please hit those icons so you know when we post another episode. If you got some value out of this episode, please leave a review or a comment so we can help spread the show with other people who might be interested in the topic but just haven't found our show yet. Again, thanks for stopping by. I'm Tim Staten, Staten the Obvious.